Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net and your host for the WSN podcast. It's been a couple weeks since we have checked in. There certainly has been a lot going on with spring sports wrapping up. This past weekend, we uh, put a bow on the 2021-22 high school sports season with the girls soccer state championships uh, finishing up. And of course, we got some good news afterwards as well. Oregon, who won the Division II state championship, was uh, announced as the uh, mythical national champions. They finished number one in the final United Soccer Coaches rankings in the entire country. So pretty cool accomplishment for Oregon. Um, and again, uh, kind of wraps up the sports season. Next week, just to, to give you a little tease on the WSN podcast, we're going to have our recap of this sports season uh, where we'll be joined by our staff, uh, Mark, Norbert, and Colton to uh, talk about some of the big stories, some of the big happenings, some of the reactions to what we saw in high school sports in the last year. But today on the WSN podcast, we're going to talk about the uh, recently held WIAA uh, Board of Control meeting where there were a number of basketball changes on the agenda, um, a number of winter sports changes on the agenda, in fact, not just basketball. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to bring in Mark Norbert and Colton. But before we do that, we want to remind you to help save lives on Wisconsin roads and eliminate crashes. Join the Wisconsin Department of Transportation's new campaign, Buckle Up, Phone Down. Commit to always buckle your seatbelt and put your phone down while driving every trip, every time. Take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Well, let's bring in our guys and, and talk a little bit about this uh, meeting that was held yesterday. Certainly, there was a lot of anticipation about some of the proposals that had advanced out of the basketball coaches advisory group. Um, but ultimately things were a little anticlimactic, but for right now, let's bring in Mark Norbert and Colton, uh, guys, uh, good to chat with you. And, uh, even though we, we maybe don't have as much, uh, to, to talk about as we thought we might, um, still wanted to kind of recap what went on and maybe what might happen going forward as well. So Mark, good to have you on Colton Norb. Let's, uh, let's get right into it. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, good and uh, staying cool right now. Yeah, doing yeah, good. Staying, staying cool is key. A very hot stretch that we're in right now. But uh, if anybody complains about 85 degrees in June, um, I, I, I don't want to hear it, right? Because when it's you know the minus 10 in in January, uh, we'll we'll be yeah. When you're getting out of your car like and this. it's minus five, yeah, to go to a game, it's a little different, but. Luckily, basketball gets us through that mess. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's always interesting in football, right? Because when I start going to football games or, you know, everybody starts going to football games in August, sometimes it's 80 degrees at seven o'clock on those nights and, and you're having to take heat breaks and, you know, extra water breaks and everything like that. And then by the time the season ends, you have snow on the ground uh, a lot of times. So it's, uh, you know, quite a, quite a change over the course of a football season, basketball, not, not quite as much. It's, it's cold and dreary and short days the whole, the whole time, obviously baseball and in, in spring sports season, we have it, it hopefully increasingly better weather, but uh, not, not always the case either, but guys, let's talk about some of the things that, uh, that went on at yesterday's meeting and some of the proposals that came out. Um, there were nine proposals total that were advanced out of the, basketball coaches advisory group, which is where season and regulation changes uh, kind of originate from. Um, and, and maybe let's just kind of go through each of them on their own and, and talk about them, even though very few of them actually passed of the nine, only two of them even advanced to the board of control for consideration. Uh, if, if people remember, just to give a little refresher a couple of years ago, out of the debate and the controversy over the shot clock, which by the way, I think passed like five years ago today or five years ago yesterday, something like that. Initially, uh, there was a lot of frustration from athletic directors and school administrators and school boards about that shot clock process where they were going to be taking on additional cost and were frustrated with uh, you know, how that went. And so there was a, a group of members that advanced a uh, petition to uh, a constitutional amendment a couple of years ago that essentially gave the advisory council more control and, and essentially veto power where anything that was advanced out of those coaches committees, the advisory council, if they did not uh, uh, vote to advance it or approve it, it didn't even go to the board of control for 
consideration. So uh, that's why the board did not even get a chance to vote on it yesterday. But let's go through these and, and maybe let's start with uh, the most talked about issue in high school basketball for you know a little while here, other than private public. Um, but that is the shot clock. And the proposal out of the coaches advisory group was to allow the use of a shot clock in non-conference games when mutually agreed upon by both head coaches. That was something that was uh, supported by the coaches advisory group. Seven, nothing was not supported by the sports advisory, which is just an advisory group. Uh, they do not have veto power, if you will, um, like the uh, advisory council does, um, was not supported by the executive staff. And then by the uh, advisory council was rejected one to 13. So Mark, let's start with you. Uh, we've had conversations about the shot clock many times over the years. What did you think of this particular plan to allow it in non-conference games as kind of a test introduction, dipping toes in the water opportunity for the shot clock to come in? Well, I was in favor of it. I thought it was a, a good first step and, and just kind of an interesting concept to to do it. You know, if coaches don't want it, that's fine. They don't have to use it. Um, but for the coaches that did want it and, and had access to shot clocks, uh, I thought, you know, this would be kind of a, a interesting test case to see how it actually, um, you know, came about in terms of high school basketball in our state. When you look at Iowa and Minnesota, they're both uh, going the, to the shot clock. Um, I think that it it probably would add a level of excitement uh, to the game, but yet at the same time, I realize that there are logistics involved and this proposal uh, would not have forced any school to purchase shot clocks. Um, it would not have forced any school to use a shot clock. It was just there to say, hey, if you're playing uh, in our, for example, in our uh, Christmas tournament at Concordia University, and both coaches agree and the shot clocks are already there, uh, go ahead and, and, and experiment with it and use it. Um, so uh, I, I really didn't see any downside to it. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately on Twitter, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff now is centering around just the, the overall um, acceptance of a shot clock. And that's not at all what this proposal was. Um, so I was very disappointed that they, they wouldn't allow it if both coaches agreed to it in non-conference games only, and certainly not for the tournament, um, for the postseason tournament. Uh, I, I just didn't see any downside to it. So I was, like I said, disappointed that they didn't pass it. Norb, is there, from, from what you have seen, is there a difference in how girls coaches view the shot clock and the possible implementation compared to how the boys coaches might view it? You know, I don't think so. I think uh, it's pretty, pretty uh, cut and dry as far as it goes that way. I, you know, more, uh, more welcomeness from, you know, upper divisions, but, you know, I don't think there's as, is quite as much pushback from some of those uh, smaller coaches, smaller school coaches than, you know, maybe it seems, but I think that's the big thing. I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of schools don't care at all. And a lot of those schools, maybe that have a bunch of turnover from coaches, they don't get enough of a, you know, a voice in those one or two years are there maybe, so I just don't think there's a lot of people that care. And I think this is something that if we had the opportunity to test it for a year, like, you know, in those non-conference games, I think it would have been beneficial. But uh, I don't think, you know, overall that there is a whole lot of a difference between the boys and the girls coaches as far as wanting the shot clock or not wanting the shot clock. And Norbert, you played with a shot clock in college for a year at UW Richland. Um, I don't know that your coach prepared you well to play with the shot clock, but <laughs> Uh, what, what did you think? Like playing with a shot clock, what was it like? Um, you know, how much do you feel like it changed how the game was played at that level, which obviously is a little different level than we're talking in high school, but you know, what are your remembrances of playing with a shot clock? You know, the pace obviously has got to pick up with it. Cause you can't, uh, you know, get across the timeline and, and maybe look to a coach and kind of take forever to get things set up. I think that's the biggest thing. You got to get into your sets quicker and you know, it's going to bring up plenty of coaches already use a ton of sets, but you know, it, it does bring in the part where you need to have those sets because if you get down to, you know, 10 on the shot clock, um, you can't just keep running that motion offense 
and it's not always going to work that way. So I think that's just the biggest thing. You got to play it a little bit quicker of a pace and maybe got to push the ball up the floor to get into that set a little quicker. Colton, you also played at UW Richland with a shot clock. Um, what what do you remember about it? What what did you see as differences compared to high school and how much of an impact it might have had? Like Norb said, the change of pace definitely was different. Um, you definitely needed, I wouldn't say a shot creator more so, but you needed someone to be able to, at the end, it was almost like an end of a half, end of a quarter, end of a game situation every 35 or 40 seconds, whatever it was. So you needed someone to be able to make a play and that that could kind of help in development of younger kids, just being able to add that sense of we need a play made almost every 40 seconds. We are uh, continuing our conversation, talking about the shot clock. And, and ultimately, again, it, it did get voted down, the proposal, which would have allowed non-conference use for a, a shot clock. Um, and, and let's just, you know, continue that conversation just kind of philosophically, right, um, about the shot clock. My opinion, I think, is, is pretty well known, and, and I might be in the minority of people, of basketball fans, of, of you know, compared to coaches, whatever, in that I, I just don't think that a shot clock is necessary. And quite honestly, I don't think a shot clock would have a overall – improvement value for high school basketball. Um, my, my thought is that for maybe 25% of the teams, maybe less, you know, it would, might, might make things better. Um, it might, you know, the, the better teams that have those kids that can create it, it would be, you know, doable and, and maybe improve the things for them. That same 25% or more, I think teams that struggle will struggle even more. Um, you know, teams that don't have that shot creator, teams that aren't as good, uh, you know, with ball skills or creation. And then I think there's a lot of teams that it just, in a lot of games, that it just really wouldn't impact one way or another. So um, I just, I, I just look at it from a perspective of, I don't think it will necessarily improve things overall. Um, and so why spend a couple million dollars around the state to do it? Um, that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And, and I coached at UW Richland uh, for three years. And, and obviously we had a shot clock and we had to work around it and, and, you know, make it work. But um, I just, I, I, from a basketball perspective, not talking about the financial impact and all those other things that go into it, just from a basketball perspective, I just, my opinion is I don't think it will improve the game significantly. And I think it will hurt it in some parts of the state and at some levels. So that's that's my my thought on it, Mark. Uh, I, I think we you mentioned that you, that that you would be in favor of it. You know what? Um, what percent of games? And maybe that's not a fair question. Uh, but what what percent of games do you think would actually be impacted? Where a shot clock would make a difference in the outcome? A shot clock would make a difference in the the overall quality or pace of the game like like what kind of overall impact do you think a shot clock would have well you know again we're, we're not talking about the uh implementing a shot clock universally throughout the state for every game with this proposal well, if this this proposal didn't but i'm just saying like in general philosophically shot clock right. in general you know what? well i think i think um you know shot clock is is a part of basketball at, at the collegiate and pro level obviously um, you know, the three point shot was, you know, trickled down to high school. And I think the shot clock, uh, you know, it, mm -hmm. you know, it belongs in high school too, just for that reason that it's part of the game and that, you know, coaches can, can plan different things based on the shot clock, whether that's, you know, really locking down for defense for 35 seconds, um, and using the shot clock and, and your pressure defense as an asset, um, you know, maybe a lot of schools now, obviously, particularly the bigger schools, they're they're taking quick shots, so uh, it, it wouldn't matter anyway. But um, I think where where it probably where I see it the most anyway uh, over the last decade or so is at the state tournament. Um, you have a bigger floor where teams can spread out more and and tick away that time a lot more. Um, and of course, when you get to that point, uh, very few people want to see a team hold the ball. Um, you know, during the regular season, 
if a lesser talented team is, is going to take the air out of the ball and try to make it a low scoring game. And, um, you know, that, 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 that's very difficult to do. Number one. Uh, and number two, if that's the strategy, uh, that's fine. But I think at the state tournament, these are all really, really good teams. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm sure that you guys can recall sitting there at the Cole center several times where a team's holding the ball or just passing it around by the 10 second line and, you know, a couple minutes are ticking off the clock. So, um, that's where I see, uh, the biggest need for it. Um, not so much in the day to day, uh, you know, regular season, but I, I do think that it, it would, uh, add a level of excitement. Um, it would add a, a level of strategy for the coaches and then the players, um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I get the expense and I get, you know, having to get someone to run it, and I, having the officials worry about it. And, you know, if that's if those are the overriding factors, fine. But I like I said, going back to the proposal, I just I don't understand why they would vote that down. It just doesn't seem to make sense to me. One of the, the reasonings or, or, you know, conversation points about this particular proposal uh, and why it didn't didn't pass and didn't work was that. Um, they just felt like if, if you're going to do a shot clock, then let's have that conversation and let's, let's make a decision to do a shot clock instead of, you know, this kind of halfway, if you will, um, where you're talking about non-conference games, which might be 30% of games. I, I don't know how many, you know, what percent of games are non-conference. It, it might be around 30%. So the conversation was, well, let's, you know, let's, uh, if we're going to do it, let's have that conversation. Let's decide to do it. And the other part of it is too, uh, this is something that even if it had passed the board of control, again, going back to that last shot clock debate in the changes that came out of that, it would have to be approved at the annual meeting. So it, it doesn't matter you know, what the, what the board of control would have done. It still had to go to another step in, in the, the, one of the comments um, it might've been from the advisory council representative that was there was let's just put it on the agenda for the annual meeting next year. And then we know, right. If we need to work on implementation or if there's not the appetite for it, then that's fine. We'll, you know, we don't have to worry about it. So that was another part of that conversation. Um, Norb, again, just kind of thinking philosophically in, in general about a shot clock, not this proposal necessarily, but just in general, you know, anytime you make a change, you, you want to have a reason for it, right? What, what do you think is the biggest reason for a shot clock, the biggest argument in favor of a shot clock. Is it to avoid stalls or is it more to improve the overall flow of the game? Like what, what do you think, or what do you hear is the biggest rationale for the shot clock? You know, I think the points that Mark hit on were, were all there, you know, the, the stalling, especially when you're at the biggest stage and, you know, we don't want that as, as being a product that comes out of the state for other people to think that's what Wisconsin basketball is. But also, I think, you know, just in, um, you know, whether it's a, a really good non-conference game or it is that, you know, big conference game, you know, the, the final, you know, eight minutes of a game, five minutes of a game, uh, when you get down to the part where, you know, you, you're down five or whatever, uh, you could maybe play out, a, play out a possession instead of having to foul. And I think that, in my opinion, would be a big benefit to having the shot clock. Cause then you can play more basketball and not, not have it be more of a, can the, the team that's winning make enough foul shots to uh, keep their lead. And it, it makes the, the game, I think in the end, a lot better to make some of those finishes better. Well, we could spend certainly a lot of time talking about the shot clock and debating it and going over, you know, kind of the history of it um, and, and the disaster that was the last time the shot clock was passed and then repealed. Uh, but we'll move on for right now. Um, the other big ticket item that was uh, proposed by the Basketball Coaches Association uh, was an idea that I had pitched way back in March, shortly after the completion of the basketball state tournaments, um, kind of a two-pronged approach. Uh, one that would have adjusted the cut lines for divisional placement, kind of equalized those out a little bit more. If you recall, when five divisions came in, help me out, guys, was it 2011? or 2012 was the first year, um, whatever, whatever year it was, they really haven't done much to change things since then. And if we think about the way enrollment trends have gone and lower enrollments overall in the state of Wisconsin and, and just, you know, the way the state has changed, 
uh, it just seems like it's time to to rebalance those divisions. And so my my idea in the one uh, ultimately that was very close to uh, what they proposed was lowering the enrollment number for division one, the bottom of division from 1200 down to 1100. Division two would be 550 to 1090 as opposed to 600 to 1200 now. The smallest 112 schools would be in division five compared to 128 schools. And then everybody else remaining would be split equally between division three and division four. And so ultimately what that did is it balanced out the number of teams in each division, um, got them a little bit closer because right now, uh, if, if there's 128 teams in division five, which we ended up with 124, 125 this year, because a few teams dropped out, uh, there was only, I believe it was 67 uh, boys teams or and uh, fewer girls teams that were above that 1200 threshold. So uh, just rebalancing that out. And then the other part was adding two division one teams to the state tournament. Uh, there's of course a open session on Thursday morning. There has been since they went to five divisions and uh, that has resulted in, you know, just an opening, there's nothing going on. And so with the struggles the WIA has had with revenue, uh, with the pandemic, canceling the state tournament for essentially two years, um, the attendance was down this year. They're looking for ways to, to make up and, and recoup some revenue. Uh, filling that Thursday morning session seems like a very, uh, you know, easy solution to some of those problems. Uh, so the proposal uh, was to add, to, to change to six sectionals in division one. So there would be six teams that stayed in division one and uh, the, the six teams would be seated electronically. The top two would get a buy, which, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, but it would fill that Thursday morning session, bring in more people, allow more teams to experience the state tournament and add to the revenue that the, w, the WIA is looking to uh, looking to get to. That was supported by the basketball coaches it was supported in a survey by the Basketball Coaches Association. The uh, the division cut lines was a 72% support rate. The division one team, six division one teams was 61%. The advisory, sports advisory supported it 12-1. The executive staff supported it. And then it got to the advisory council and it was defeated uh, 14 to nothing. So again, not even considered for the, the uh, WBC or excuse me, for the board of control, uh, Norb, you know, thoughts on, on that proposal and, you know, a lot of support throughout the different levels, but then ultimately advisory council, just kind of shutting it down and, and, you know, sending it back to the drawing board. Well, anytime you can add, uh, some, you know, talented teams to the state tournament, I think, you know, it's, it's a huge benefit. Uh, you know, it's been something that's been talked about. You know, I think every every uh, every year I went to the state tournament. So, uh, you know, those division one coaches definitely want it. And I would probably argue that there's enough D2 coaches that probably would want it, too, because that would kind of, you know, make a few changes that way as well. Um, but it's it's just one of those. Uh, I don't know if it's just too big of a change right now for the WIA, but uh you know, when, when you can add really quality teams and will it really quality players, that's going to bring more people to watch games, as you mentioned. And I think it would have been a huge benefit. 30% attendance drop in boys basketball this year compared to a normal, uh, the, the last normal tournament we had in 2019 is precipitous and, you know, a, a lot. And so Mark, you and I talked about it yesterday and, and you said it, it just feels like the state tournament needs a little bit of a jolt. And I, you know, I think this could have delivered that, uh, Colton, your thoughts on, on that proposal, how it might work, it, you know, maybe some of the flaws with it that maybe led to it not getting supported. You know, it almost felt like a slam dunk. I mean, you think of a lot of the D one and higher coaches and a lot of the audience, you can tell by attendance, they've been, clamoring for more D1 teams, whether it's the eight teams back in or whatnot. And a lot of the lower division coaches, um, the problem is there's so few teams in D1 that then adding two or four teams to the state tournament, you're almost putting one eighth of the whole D1 field into the state tournament. But the proposal of the six and then the adjusting of the uh, division lines just seemed like a slam dunk. It seemed like it benefited everybody almost to the point 
Um, WIA gets two more D1 teams there on a Thursday session that could bring in the likes of, you know, a Brookfield or a Tosa team when those two, when those groups are always in the same sectional. So it seemed, it seemed, it seemed, like I said, it seems like a slam dunk. And, you know, when I wrote that article, uh, I wasn't writing that article to think that, hey, this is going to get passed this year. That wasn't, you know, any part of it. It was to, to generate some conversation and some ideas. And, and ultimately, that's kind of what it did. Uh, once it got picked up by the basketball advisory group, which, by the way, I didn't, like, contact them and lobby for it. They didn't even contact me at all. I found out after the meeting that they said that they had uh, even proposed this. Um, so it's not like, you know, I was orchestrating or, or doing anything like that, but um, it seemed like once it got supported by the coaches and it was supported by the WBCA membership and the staff and you know, other levels of the process, it just seemed like it, it might have a chance to go. Um, certainly, obviously I, I wrote it, I proposed it. So I thought it had a lot of merit, but Mark, uh, you know, we talked a little bit yesterday. I know you've, you've had a chance to hear from and talk to some coaches as well. You know, what was the reaction when, uh, when that not only didn't pass, but didn't even come up for a vote for the board of control. And, you know, what were, what were some of the things that you heard about that particular proposal? Well, I think uh, frustration and disappointment uh, were, were probably the things that I heard the most talking to coaches, just the fact that um, their voices are not being heard. I mean, when, when you have the basketball advisory committee passing these along, nobody expects all the recommendations to be passed. But when it also passes the other steps that you previously mentioned, Travis, I think everyone was pretty hopeful that, you know, at least a couple more of these uh, proposals would have gone through. And then for the advisory council just to, to turn around and, and vote it all down with no, you know, no transparency in terms of what the reasons for it, um, you know, people are just fed up with it. I mean, I think they're just so frustrated um, that, you know, it's like, what else, what, what can we do? You know, and, and um, you know, I thought, I thought all these proposals, whether it was six teams in D1, you know, the new Roman cutoffs or, uh, the shot clock in, in limited number of games. I thought they were all good moves that, that, you know, were what would have, uh, would have benefited the game and certainly would have benefited the state tournament. Um, you look at the schools from Northern Hadfield, Wisconsin, and right now they are, they're not represented at the, at the division one state tournament. And it's going to be hard for them with the current four team setup to ever get there. <laughs> I mean, when you have to go through the Appleton, uh, you know, the Fox Valley association, um, you know, uh, Eau Claire Memorial had one heck of a team last year. Uh, they didn't make it now, you know, they can say, well, everything's cyclical. Well, it is, but it isn't, <laughs> you know, I mean, those teams up North have, have a, a bigger hurdle to overcome than teams in the Appleton, greater Appleton area and green Bay, and certainly in the Milwaukee area and the Madison area. So, um, you know, like you said, we have an open session. Why don't we utilize it? Why don't we create a little bit more stir for the state tournament? get two more teams down there. Maybe we can separate Pewaukee and Wisco uh, and not have them in the same sectional. Maybe we can separate Brookfield East and Brookfield Central. I mean, the, the time has come to think outside the box a little bit um, while still having representation from throughout Wisconsin. Um, and I think you can do both. And, uh, you know, this the, the voting down and, and really providing no reasons for it um, is, is just leads to more frustration and people being more frustrated, you know, upset and um, with the WIA. And, and, you know, when the, when the executive committee of the WIA passed these proposals, I thought, okay, the people that work on high school sports every day in the Stevens Point or Milwaukee offices are in favor of these changes. And then the advisory council turns around and votes almost unanimously to turn them down. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is why, why would they turn these down? You know, they, they, I know you had mentioned Travis that they, they, uh, they wanted to look at a, the bigger picture and maybe change more things for the state tournament, but that wasn't what was in front of them. What was in front of them were, were three proposals that we, that we're talking about here that they could have implemented and, and put into place, you know, now. Um, and all three of them failed. And I, I just think it's, you know, uh, a step backward for, for the advancement of high school basketball in the state. 
among the reasons that the um, the advisory council representative cited for not voting in favor of it, uh, they they said they they thought it was a rushed plan, which you know, adjusting the cut lines isn't like you're changing the 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 fabric of the state tournament. I mean that it's it's just a minor tweak that just adjusts the number of teams in each division. Um, you know, I I just. They, they did talk as well about maybe they, as you said, Mark, they wanted to do more. They wanted to look at basketball as the only sport where there's a hard enrollment cap, um, you know, for that 1200 right now for D1, 600 to 1200 for D2. They talked about reviewing that because no other sport does that. Well, that's what they did when they put in five divisions because that's what made the most sense to even things out. They talked about whether there should be you know, a set number of teams in each division instead of basing it on where enrollment breaks are, um, which is just going to go back and, you know, cause the problems that we had uh, before, I think. Um, they talked about, you know, reviewing the state tournament as a whole, if they wanted to go to eight qualifiers in four divisions or how they wanted to do it. But, you know, I, that, that was, like you said, Mark, that wasn't the proposal and that wasn't what I don't know that those are the things that coaches are asking for. I mean, you had a proposal in front of you that had a, a significant amount of coach support. So, you know, I, right. I, I don't know. I, it, it seemed like, it seemed like a, a, a viable option. Um, but it is something that I think they will have on the agenda for the fall meetings at the area meetings uh, to yeah. get some feedback you know, and on. And that's great, Travis. And, you know, I mean, we're going to continue to talk about it, but it's, you know, I, I'm sharing frustrations, not, not, personally myself i mean obviously what happens happens and we'll cover it and you know it's still still a unbelievably great game and you know it really helps kids in the educational setting to to you know achieve um but in talking to coaches i, I think they're sick of all that <laughs> i mean i just think that they want some action done here you know and it's it's like how many times can you study these these issues um and, and they're not going to change um and you know you mentioned the public private thing you know i i don't hear that near from basketball coaches nearly as much as the shot clock or, or lowering the enrollment uh, thresholds you know you need five or seven kids to play basketball so what's the difference between a school of a thousand and, and twelve hundred um you know maybe some of the thousand schools are not in 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 metro areas but you know you don't need a lot uh you know some of the best teams in our state over the last 20 years have been have come from small schools so um yeah, I, you know, I, I think that I think another frustration, you know, that and I'm just sharing frustrations that I hear is that these proposals passed through people that are pretty close to the game, whether it's the executive committee that has to administer basketball, certainly the basketball coaches uh, uh, advisory committee. Um, and then uh, the people that voted it down are people that are not necessarily in the day to day grunt of the game. Um, and, you know, there's competition now in basketball and volleyball, um, you know, non scholastic events are much, much bigger than they used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And I, I think that the high school tournament uh, needs to needs to kind of adopt some of those things that have worked um, in terms of creating excitement and in terms of creating uh, opportunities for more kids. Um, the excitement is always there in terms of building and the tournament. That part, you know, will never change. It's always, uh, you know, very thrilling to win a regional and get to sectionals and then obviously get to the state tournament. But, uh, you know, I think back to the one we had eight teams in D1 and, and four in the other uh, three divisions. I just thought that the overall excitement, the overall um, looking forward to attending and watching this particular player or that coach or whatever was bigger than it is now. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not saying that we have to go back to four divisions, um, you know, but I, I do think that your proposal of going to six for D1 uh, made a lot of sense. And, um, you know, uh, it wasn't rushed on anyone. I mean, people have been thinking about stuff like this for years. Uh, and this proposal came out when the Basketball Advisory Committee met a couple months ago. Um, every year they meet. So they're always going to have recommendations. Um, so I, I, I don't buy that argument that it was rushed. Um, and I, I guess maybe I'm being a little outspoken on this, but I just, I just feel kind of passionate because I talk to coaches 
every day about stuff like this. And, and that's kind of where they're at. Um, now, there are certainly some that weren't in favor of having six and D1 or adopting a shot clock for non-league games or, or, or even the enrollment uh, switches. But, but as you know, and as uh, Colton and Norbert know, 72% of the coaches in the state were in favor of six teams in D1. That's a pretty high number for, for coaches to agree on anything. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not a conversation that is over by any means. Again, it will, I, I think it will be on the agenda for the area meetings. Basketball coaches will conti- continue to discuss and consider it and maybe bring back something next year. Um, but maybe we need to get a, uh, you know, a WSN uh, uh, subscription for some of the, uh, some of the folks on the advisory council or the border control, if they, if they felt, thought it felt rushed. Uh, again, I wrote that article in March. It was a free article anyway, but um yeah, we'll see. Uh, again, we want to remind people to help save lives on Wisconsin roads and eliminate crashes. Join the Wisconsin Department of Transportation's new campaign, Buckle Up, Phone Down. Commit to always buckle your seatbelt and put your phone down while driving every trip, every time. Take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. All right, guys. Well, again, another conversation, another topic we could spend a lot of time on, but let's move on. And before we get too far, let's uh, just mention the two, quite honestly, very minor items of the nine that did get passed by the advisory council and ultimately approved by the board of control. Uh, Again, relatively minor. One of them defined how a tournament is defined. (laughs) You know, it was defined as a bracketed event that plays to a winner. This is when talking about in-season events and how many teams can be in a tournament and how many tournaments you can be in. There was some, apparently some ambiguity about whether, like Mark's event where it's, it's just kind of a classic or an invitational or whatever um, is a tournament or not. And it actually tied in with another one that they didn't pass, I think a lot closer. And then also uh, they eliminated the appeal process for the three point challenge that we uh, of course help administer. And then even though it was not proposed by the coaches association, even though it was actually something that got put in by the coaches just two years ago, the advisory council amended that. And instead of having several checkpoints throughout the year where coaches had to have three point uh, stats entered uh, as you know, a way to ver- you know, verify and make sure that everybody's doing things the right way, avoid situations where a coach doesn't enter anything all year and then just throws all their stats in at the end of the year. Um, something that, again, the coaches put in a couple of years ago, the advisory council without any request from the coaches just eliminated those checkpoints. So don't know why, but that's what they did. So those are the two things that passed again, pretty minor um, getting back though, to the, the idea of events and tournaments and what that means. One of the regulations that they did vote down, I don't know why, um, because you can have, you know, big tournaments and other sports, but in basketball, you're limited to eight teams that can be in a tournament in season, like a bracketed tournament. The request was to go to 16, up to 16 schools that can be in a bracketed in-season tournament. Uh, Each game of that tournament counts as one game towards your season maximum. Uh, It just allowed you to be in a tournament that you could, you know, have more teams in. Uh, Supported by the coaches, supported by sports advisory, not supported by the uh, executive staff, a little bit surprisingly perhaps, Um, and then defeated 14-0 by the uh, by the advisory council and thus not, not, uh, you know, advanced to the uh, board of control. Not a lot of discussion on that one that I recall. Again, I don't know why you can't do that. You can, you can be in giant volleyball tournaments. I believe that, you know, have, have a bunch of teams in them, but why you can't be in for basketball. I I don't know. Um, the, uh, again, I, I think a minor one, I don't know the rationale for it, but Wisconsin has a slightly adjusted pregame protocol compared to what is in the NFHS officials manual. Uh, and they wanted to perhaps go to the, uh, the NFHS procedure, pregame procedure. And again, I don't even know all of the, the, the differences, to be honest with you. I think it was just a little timing difference on how they do stuff, but, um, that got defeated. Uh, other things that got defeated, uh, you know, I, the coaches had talked about and, and requested to release the electronic seedings twice during the season on or around January one and on or around February one. 
the rationale for that so that there wasn't as much of a surprise at the end of the year when those electronic seedings came out. Um, you know, there was a little bit of controversy this year in terms of, uh, you know, what happened with some of the seedings and the outcomes. And so the thought was to get in front of it a little bit and also to use those two ways to promote the game of basketball, to promote, you know, build excitement and build buzz and build conversation around high school basketball. Maybe you do it as a, like a release type show and you make it kind of a, a deal, right? Um, but again, not supported at the advisory council. Uh, speaking of postseason seeding, uh, they wanted to seed each sectional electronically. Um, well, each sectional will be seeded electronically, excuse me. And, and they wanted to uh, have sectionals vote early in the year, whether they wanted to seed by the half bracket or the regional grouping. Uh, that was not supported at any level, sports advisory, executive staff, or advisory council. And then also there was a proposal to seed the top 16 teams in each division and then distribute those equally among four sectionals, trying to spread out some of the top teams around the state a little bit more. Again, not supported at any level other than the coach's advisory. So, uh, Colton, out of those those other ones that got defeated, you know, what things stand out? What were some of those that you thought you know, made some sense that maybe unfortunately did not get, uh, did not get passed. Uh, kind of like you stated with regards to the size of the tournaments, I, I don't see the rationale behind it. If there's 16 teams in a bracketed tournament, it's one extra game. What does, what does that hurt? Um, like, like you also stated volleyball, I think they're up to like 60 team tournaments that they have during the year. So basketball to be limited to eight, just, just it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. Norb, anything stand out amongst some of those other ones that, that we talked about? Uh, you know, I think the, the tournament part that you, you asked Colton, I think is the biggest one for me. Uh, I, cause you can go to some of those out of state, like for, for instance, Beaver Dam just a couple of years ago, you know, ranked nationally they go to a big event they couldn't go would not be able to go to a big uh, national event currently especially when you have the ability to play 24 games in a season you know i think that kind of takes away from a team that is really good to play in a big event or to have a big event in wisconsin but at least with with the ability to you know define tournament you know there, we do have the ability to play in a lot more showcases though so i think that's a benefit Mark, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on some of those other ones that didn't get past the limits on the uh, the size of tournaments that teams can be in, releasing the electronic seedings a couple times during the year to build some excitement and you know get people out in front, seeding the top sixteen and then splitting them up. It, thoughts on some of those proposals that did not get passed? Yeah, no, I, I think there was reasons that they didn't pass all of those and there certainly were some drawbacks to them. So I didn't have any issue with it, with that at all. It was, uh, and I don't think most coach, I didn't hear any coaches talk about 16 team tournaments. Um, you know, the seating, uh, they're not so much worried about having it released a couple times a year as what the criteria is, uh, because there were, uh, many coaches up in arms, you know, last March when the first seating, uh, electronic seatings were released and, and some schools got, um, you know, better seats than others, and they want to know the rationale for that. Um, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really hear too much feedback on on those other proposals. Um, the main one was the six teams in D one and the shot clock and the enrollment cutoffs. The WBCA did survey its membership at the request of the WIAA about some of those other items and. Quite honestly, none of them got, you know, a, a great amount of support. Uh, in fact, you know, the adjusting the pregame protocol was 50-50 or so. The bracket vote was 50-50 or so. Even the, the tournament limits, I, I would have thought that would have been a slam dunk. Like, why would coaches not want to be in a tournament up to 16 teams? It doesn't mean you have to, but it has that option at least. Um, we only got like 56% support. Um, so, you know, they weren't overwhelming support. Uh, in that survey and by the coaches, maybe some of those things get revisited. Um, and I know the release of the, the seedings, I mean, that was something I thought the WI would have, would have latched onto. They, they tried to make a little bit bigger deal about the seeding release this year. They, they 
did what was they they called a seating release show, which essentially was just an animated PDF bracket fill in. Um, I thought they were going to do a little bit more with that. They're looking at it doing something similar in football. I don't know why they wouldn't have certain statewide experts on to talk about the brackets and do an NCAA March Madness release type, like actual televised hosted show. Give us a call, WIAA, right? Um, you know, so just that's that's something maybe they revisit and, and talk about again to to build to build buzz and. Quite honestly, I mean, from from a perspective as somebody that's in the content business and the advertising business, that's sponsorship opportunities, right? Like the the boys basketball release show presented by XYZ Motors, right? Um, I, I think there's some opportunities there. Now I just gave away some good ideas to them. Maybe I should bill them for it. Um, you know, guys, we, there was a lot of changes proposed this year. There was nine changes on the agenda. In, in one of them, the realigning divisions and uh, expanding to six teams in Division One were actually all part of one. Um, but uh, you know, what else? Like, what what do you think could be on the agenda next year? Uh, what should be on the agenda next year as coaches are looking at and thinking about? Okay, what are we? What do we? What is important to us? What do we want to accomplish? What things do we? What changes do we want to see? Norm, anything that that you think could be maybe revisited next year, or or new things that could be, you know, the the hot ticket item next year. You know, I think a lot of these these items are going to be revisited. I, you know, probably some changes amongst how you want to uh, go at them because that kind of seems to be part of the issue, getting them pushed forward. You know, having enough uh, background on them and how it can benefit the WIA maybe even more, even though a lot of those seem to be pretty cut and dry. So I think a lot of it just going to be a lot of that same stuff, but we're just going to be maybe repurposed and kind of figure out how it can benefit things a little bit more. Yeah. And oftentimes just the way the process works with the WIAA, oftentimes the coaches for every sport do have to bring something forward a couple times before it gets approved. Uh, it's not always the first year. Sometimes it takes two or three times you know, maybe fine tuning the plan, maybe just getting more buy-in and people on board. Um, so certainly some of these things could be re revisited in the exact same form they're in, or maybe a slightly tweaked uh, opportunity. Mark, what, what kind of things do you think might be, you know, the, the things on the agenda for next year? Well, I'd agree with Norbert. I think, you know, many of the things that were on the agenda this year uh, will come back, maybe not all of them, but a few of them. Uh, two other things that I thought of, number one, more transparency in terms of what goes into the seating. I think coaches need to know, um, you know, what, you know, how do they, how do they figure that out? What, what's the criteria that goes into that? They need to uh, include out of state teams, uh, which they threw out this year. I think they, they, they need to um, come up with some, you know, really hard uh, concrete criteria for what goes into that. So coaches know because, yeah, I think they were kind of caught off guard last year with some of those seeds. That's what I hear well, a lot. To, to, um, to clarify, the criteria that the the criteria that goes in is very clearly spelled out. Coaches don't always know how to find it or want to find it, but the the actual parts of the criteria are spelled out. It's just the percentages, right? You know how how heavily right. weighted is your record compared to your opponent's record compared to the record in yes. your sectional, whatever. It's it's just the the weighting and the percentages that are not publicly available. Right. And and just uh maybe just get some feedback from them on, on things that um maybe should weigh a little more heavily than um but you know just just you know cleaning up the seating I think overall and getting some input from either the WBCA or or a panel of coaches um at, in each of the five divisions just to just to make it a little bit better. And, you know, obviously last year, um, you know, the, the, the seating had some issues, obviously, and it, it's probably always going to have issues, but it had issues with the, when the coaches did it too. But I think just uh, if there's a few things you can tweak, uh, the WI can tweak on that, um, I think it would go a long way. 
into um, appeasing and, and making everyone kind of on the same page. The other thing that I hear a lot about, um, I talked about just a little earlier, is the sectionals. How are they determined? I know most of it is regional, obviously, but um, I, I think that if we can um, come up with some ways to uh, proactively think ahead and know that, hey, next year, Wisconsin Lutheran and Pewaukee are two of the best teams in Wisconsin, regardless of, of division. And, um, you know, if, if, if there's a way that we can split them up or put them in different sectionals, and you could look across the state in all the divisions and say, okay, these are two of the better teams, and, and there's a way that we can put them in different sections. Maybe they can do a little of that. Um, so you're not playing every single team um, in your conference, um, or, uh, it, it, you know, if, if I remember one year, if you guys go back when Sam Decker was a senior, they had Lutheran and, and Sheboygan Christian in different sections. And, um, you know, obviously they're in the same city, they're in the same conference. Uh, they're located probably three miles, if that, apart from each other. So um, it can be done. Um, and I, I think, you know, we want to bring the best product or at least give the opportunity for the best product to be on the floor in Madison at the state tournament. So doing something along those lines, I think, would go a long, long way to 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 appeasing coaches and making, uh, you know, I think even the general fan base, uh, you know, more think more positively about the WIA and how things are done. So, again, the, the, the seating and then uh, the sectional placements, those are two other things that. Um, you know, I don't know if you can really come up with a rule for sectional placement because it could vary from year to year. I just think the person or persons that are in charge of it need to kind of be aware that, hey, you know, um, let, let's maximize our, our options here and, and uh, let's not put the two best teams in the same sectional. And I know we've had this discussion for decades, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, sometimes we've had as many as three or four teams in the top 10 in any division in the same sectional. It's just the way it is. But um, maybe there's a way that that things can be tweaked a little bit in that respect. Maybe not, but uh, I think, uh, you know, in, in an ideal world, um, that would be something that I would look at really, uh, really seriously. Not, uh, not saying one way or the other in terms of, you know, what I think it could or should be, but just the interesting part of that last uh, you know, discussion topic in terms of adjusting teams and sectional placements and getting somewhat away from the regional local placement brought up yesterday by a couple different people at the board of control meeting. And these are administrators that have to think about things this way as well was the increased uh, drastically increased travel costs associated with increased fuel prices and, bus driver shortages and all that other stuff, uh, that is going to be a significant challenge in this next year that, you know, makes that conversation of sending teams further in the playoffs just to balance things out. It, it makes it a really, uh, really tough time to bring that idea forward. Um, I, I don't know if, if this is the right time because of that, because you'll get pushback from administrators. And you know, I think they'll want to go the other way. I think they will want to, see things even more regionalized and localized. You know, even they were talking about conference realignment, which is coming up for football uh, after this season, they'll be looking at conference realignment again, talking about how, you know, there's going to be some sticker shock in some places because of teams that have left uh, football or they've gone to eight player or there's new co-ops that as fewer teams become available in the pool to split up into conferences, the distances are going to increase. And so, you know, the, the idea that, you know, if, if, if you're a school that all of a sudden has some really long bus rides at the, the cost of transportation. And again, the challenges of finding bus drivers, you know, it's a, it's a tough time for that kind of thing to, uh, to, to be on the, on the agenda or on the, the talking point. And so, you know, as, as much as we might all want to see that and see better teams split up, it's, it's like the worst time to start to have, or not start, but the worst time to have that conversation because of some of those other factors involved. Colton, you've been a high school basketball coach now for, uh, for a number of years as a JV coach at Basquebel and now at Richland Center. You know, what, what things are you seeing? What things are 
on, on your mind as a high school basketball coach in terms of things that might be coming down the pipe or, you know, that, that you might want to see addressed coming up next year? Um, I think the big, the two main ones I would talk about at the beginning of this uh, podcast are kind of issues that have gained more and more steam, not just statewide, but nationwide with regards to the shot clock, um, whether it's a full implementation, a gradual implementation, something of that sort. Uh, the conversation has been being had now for three or four years. Um, so let's see if, I mean, eventually in the next one or two years, there's, I would assume some kind of action. And then with regards to just the state tournament and the division cut lines, I mean, we see it on our Facebook comments, on our Twitter retweets, everything like that. It's um, teams where they, they want the higher level coaches want, you know, more of the D1, want the more exposure general public i think is split they want to see the better kids there but they also are clamoring you know for the ithacas to win or the westons to win like they still love those little underdogs nobody so. nobody clamors for weston do they <laughs> not anymore <laughs> now that the durst are gone there's no reason to root for weston <laughs> but just just seeing those conversations maybe pick up a little bit more steam in the next few years I think it'll be and, interesting and, to pay attention to. And along those lines, a reminder that the Competitive Balance Ad Hoc Committee is continuing its work. Uh, their most recent meeting, I think, was towards the end of May. Um, and I, I would expect, I, I, I think, at some point, maybe this summer even, they will have a proposal that then can be vetted in, in feedback gathered at the area meetings this fall for possible vote uh, for implementation at the annual meeting next year, maybe they have no plan at all. Maybe they come back and say, you know, there's just not any, any better option. There's not any great option. Um, whatever. I don't think that will be the case. I think they'll have something. I don't know what it'll be, but, uh, they have had a number of meetings. They've had, uh, 11 or 12 meetings already, uh, over the last eight months. And uh, we're going to start to see some, some actual concrete ideas and proposals coming out of that very soon. So that will also impact a lot of these discussions, right? And, and maybe another reason that they wanted to hold off on, on any changes in divisional placement in basketball, because that, that ad hoc committee could suggest something that would you know, significantly change how those are assigned and how they're done and how private schools work um, or even success factor, whatever it is. So we will have that, uh, you know, coming out soon, I think, as well. Um, also, uh, want to take a chance and remind everybody, uh, this today is the 50th anniversary of the passage of Title IX legislation that really opened the door for more girls and females to participate in athletics. We have always been uh, huge supporters of, of trying to drive more participation in high school sports and youth sports, not only for athletes, but also for coaches, officials, administrators, everybody involved in high school sports. And so it's a great, uh, great occasion, a great uh, uh, you know, way to, to, to recognize that. Governor Evers made a proclamation today as well. You know, there's going to be some more stuff, uh, you know, promoting and, and recognizing the advancements because of that Title IX legislation. I mean, just think back, prior to 1976, I think it was, there was no state tournament for girls sports in, in Wisconsin, I don't think. Um, I know that's that's when girls basketball started and girls basketball was one of the first ones that really took off. Um, so, you know, not that long ago, there just really wasn't that many opportunities, wasn't opportunities hardly at all for girls and women in sports. And now uh, we love seeing all those girls out there participating in high school and youth sports. We all have family members that have done that. Siblings, daughters for, for Mark, um, nieces uh, as well that have uh, have have done really cool things in athletics. So want to take a moment to recognize that as well. Um, but, you know, I think that'll wrap it up for today, guys. We'll have plenty more to talk about next week when we go over our, our season recap of, uh, of the 21, 22 high school sports year, not just basketball, but all the sports that have been going on. Uh, but we'll, we'll wrap things up for today. Uh, Mark, certainly appreciate you coming on. Norb, Colton, been, uh, been a good chat and 
I think we solved a lot of problems today, right? Well, I don't know if we solved them, but we certainly gave our thoughts on them. <laughs> there we go. Well, guys, uh, have a have a great one. We'll connect next week. Um, but they are Mark, Norbert, and Colton from our WSN staff. I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WISports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game.